0: Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to come and study your word together. Thank you for your watch care over us this past week. And now, as we're about to open your word to study, I pray, O Lord, that you would please guide us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us, O Lord. Help us to see the truth. Help us to see Jesus. And help us to see the lessons that you want us to learn from this story and this encounter this evening we pray in Jesus name. Amen. The title of our encounter this evening is Jesus's encounter with the disciples in the storm. So surely Jesus had many encounters with the disciples and not all of them are written down but what we have here we're going to look as much as possible for all the encounters that Jesus did have. So if you want to follow on your Bibles we'll be going through Mark chapter 4 this evening, but we're going to be starting later on in the chapter. We're not going to be looking at the first 30-odd verses of, of Mark chapter 4, but it is an important background. It is an important foundation to look at first. Why? Jesus, He is teaching, and so it's not an encounter. It's Christ's teaching. That we will go through in Christ's parables in the future on a Friday night as well. Once we have done all the encounters, but the parables that Jesus is teaching, in, such as the parable of the sower, he is talking about the the, the seed that sprinkled out. The parable of the four grounds, really important parable about faith. You know, he's talking about also the, the 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 how the 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 seed grows up and depending on the ground it falls upon it bears a lot of fruit or it doesn't bear any fruit. He is talking a lot about faith. And then he also teaches about the corn and how it grows, symbolizing the growth of the Christian, the experience that we must have in our Christian life, learning to grow in faith. And then he caps it off with the parable of the mustard seed, how it's such a small seed. And if we have, you know, the mustard seed is very much related to faith as well. And so really the earlier 30 odd verses Jesus is teaching, he's teaching and he's teaching about faith. And you know it's one thing to teach, it's another thing to illustrate. And the disciples are about to have a lesson on faith, an illustration on what it means to exercise faith. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 4 Mark chapter 4 and starting in verse 35 the Bible says this and the same day when the even was come he saith unto them let us pass over unto the other side he turns to the disciples and he gets in the boat with them and he says let's go to the other side let's continue verse 36 and 37 and when they had sent away the multitude they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also other with him, uh, uh, Also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now. What? Full. So the disciples get into the boat and they encounter one of the worst storms that they've ever, Ever experienced. And it was so bad that the Bible says there in verse 37 that the boat was now full. Full of what? Water obviously. Meaning the boat was starting to sink. They were in a pretty dire circumstance. Doesn't matter you were a fisherman or not. Everybody on the boat was scared. Where was Jesus though? Where was He in all of this? Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping, sleeping. He had been exhausted from the day's activities. He'd been teaching all day. And you know, friends, not many people understand the, the, the it's sort of pressure that you feel when it, it comes to teaching, and never mind teaching in front of a camera and having to speak non-stop. You know when I'm teaching in person, I'll get one person to read a Bible text, I'll have another person to read a Bible text, it's really easy. I don't have to make any slides, I'll write it on a whiteboard if I need to, but even when it comes to teaching, it really is quite intense, even more in front of a camera. But Jesus didn't have any of those things to worry about. He had crowds. He had thousands of people that were jostling him and touching him and and wanting healing and help. And, And on top of that, he was preaching the whole day. He was exhausted. And so he is asleep in the midst of this storm. And whilst the disciples are struggling, he is filled with the peace of heaven. Knowing that he has done what his father wanted him to do, and now he can rest, he can sleep, and nothing, not even this storm, could break his sleep, except for one thing, of course, his disciples. They came to him, and, and they're, they're afraid, and they awake him, that the wind is howling, and the storm is, is blowing, and the, and, the, and the water is in the boat. And what did they say to him? Do you remember? there in verse 38 at the end there, they wake him up and say, Master, don't you care that we perish? I mean look, if we would just stand back and think about it for a second, we would realize how silly a question that is. Jesus, don't you care about us? We're about to die, don't you care? It's like asking our parents, Mom, Dad, don't you care that I'm going to die? I mean look, I haven't met yet, I've heard stories, but I haven't met yet a parent who hates their children. So you know, you hear it in the news, you hear it here and there, but you know, Jesus was not that. He was not that. He loved His disciples more than any earthly parent would love their son or their daughter. And so it was kind of a silly question, wasn't it? Jesus, don't you care that we perish? It could have actually been said a different way. Jesus, please help us. There's a storm. We're about to sink. Jesus, help. You know, the the way they, they said it, it could have been different. It could have come across different. The way they said it helps us to understand probably how scared they were, but even more, how frustrated they were at Jesus. You could sense their anger. You could sense their frustration. Why? Here we are trying to keep afloat. Here we are trying to get the water out of the boat. And there you are, sleeping. Master, don't you care that we perish? It was more like, Jesus, why aren't you pulling your weight? Why didn't you even lift a finger to help us whilst we're in one of the worst storms that we've ever been in that we are about to die? Jesus didn't do His part while they were madly scared for their own lives. And so that's why they cried out to Jesus, Don't you care that we perish? Any normal parent would have woken up right and helped. Any normal person in their right mind would have woken up and helped them. And so it's not that they doubted that Jesus cared, but they were frustrated at Him. Do you see that? They were angry. They were frustrated. They they wanted to show Jesus they weren't happy. They weren't happy that he wasn't doing anything. They weren't happy that he was asleep. They weren't happy that he wasn't pulling his weight. And so the way they spoke to Jesus, it showed their frustration. Look friends, do you ever feel tempted to get angry at God and, and talk that way? God? Why don't you help me? Why is it that you just seem to be standing there whilst I'm in the midst of all this danger and trouble and temptations and trials? God, don't you care? God, don't you care that I'm going through all this trouble? God, don't you care that people are gossiping about me? God, don't you care that I don't have enough money? God, don't you care that I've been treated unjustly even by those that wear the blue uniform, the police? God, don't you care that I'm going through all these marriage problems? God, don't you care that I'm perishing? So often we are tempted to talk to God like that, aren't we? And to make matters worse, it was at Jesus' command that the disciples and Him got in a boat. To face one of the worst storms they'd ever faced in their lives. It was his fault because it was his idea and yet he was doing nothing to help. So from the human perspective you can see and you can sense their frustration as to why they're crying out to Jesus like that. However you know Many times in our lives, when you think about it right, we, we, you know, many times, and I'm not saying never, but many times, we are not facing a situation where we're about to die. It's not like the disciples, you know, the boat was sinking. They're in the middle of one of the worst storms ever. Our problems are even smaller than what the disciples are going through. You know, we didn't do well in school, or we had a fight with our best friend, you know the disciples they were ready to die I mean there was a huge storm the boat is sinking they had a reason in a sense to be frustrated at Jesus right so as they're fighting for their lives that sort of frustration is building up building up and they cry Jesus don't you care that we're about to perish Christ who came to live as God among men. God in the human flesh. You don't care? Jesus, whose, whose life, even that very day, probably the disciples were sitting there, seeing how He was healing people, how He was casting out those that, were, that, that were, had evil spirits, those that were afflicted, those that were weary those that were beaten down, they saw the tender love and care. They saw it every day. The gospel was preached to everybody. And for us, Christ even died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And many times, we are tempted to think, God, don't you care? We're tempted to think, when things don't go our way, God, don't you care? We're tempted to blame God of the predicaments that we're in or as to why He doesn't help us and bless us. Why He doesn't help us when we go to church and when we pay our tithe. Why doesn't He bless us? Why doesn't He make the road smooth? Just like how we think it should be if God is so big and strong, right? But of course He cares, friends. He cares about the sparrow that falls to the ground. He cares so much that He numbers the hairs that are on your head. Of course He cares. What a ridiculous question to ask. Of course He loves us. His watch care over us is more earnest than that of our parents. But yet so often we allow trials and temptations And and the things that we go through that pull us down, we allow those things to separate us from God. As if God has to be the one that helps us every single time. If God did not care, He would have destroyed the world a long time ago. And our lives also. But He bears long with our cries and our unreasonable outbursts. And so even as the disciples frustration in their voice, screaming out to Jesus, probably not tapping him and with a loving, a loving word saying, Jesus, Master, do you know we're perishing? Don't you care? They must have screamed it out. But how does Jesus respond? Mark four thirty-nine. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus, he gets up and he calms the storm. He doesn't deal with the disciples yet. He deals with their situation. Peace comes over the sea. The winds stop. The clouds roll away. The sea's at peace again, as if it never happened. Jesus deals with the immediate situation. But he's not done yet. Let's continue, shall we? Mark chapter 4 and verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? You know, Jesus, after the, the sea is calm and you know, everything settled, he turns to the disciples and he asks them two questions. Number one, why are you so afraid? And number two, where is your faith? How is it that you have no faith? So it's not like, how, how come you have so little faith? You know, he'd been just teaching, remember? The earlier chapter, the earlier part of that chapter, he's been teaching about faith. And now he looks to the disciples and he's basically implying, you didn't learn anything that I taught you this whole day. How come it is that you have no faith? Look, the disciples were probably so shocked at the events that they were speechless. they had never seen anyone calm a storm before. So not only had they never seen such a huge storm, but they would probably never seen such a storm just disappear just like that. So they're speechless. But Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful? Now look, remember, if you go back to verse 37, what was going on? The boat, it was full of water. They were beginning to sink. So they're sitting in the boat, and you got to understand this, you know. They're sitting in the boat, and they're looking at Jesus as he stood up to calm the storm. We don't know if he stood or not. Maybe he did. But as he stood up to calm the storm, and then he looks at them, and, and you know, you're know you one of the disciples, you're Peter sitting there, and Jesus says, why are you so afraid, right? He looks down at you. Uh, I'll be tempted to say, Jesus, look around you. The boat is sinking. I mean, wh- what's wrong with being afraid, right? So, you know, it would have been tempting to say, look, Jesus, uh, can't you see? Right? You see, Jesus doesn't just talk about being afraid. He also asks what? Why why is it that you have no faith? Christ is asking, look, why are you afraid? Because I'm right there in the boat with you. Ah, yes, I'm asleep, but I'm right there. And if you believe that I'm God, you don't have to be afraid, even though I'm asleep. Do you understand that? Maybe they had some twisted thinking of, oh, we're going to die, but Jesus is going to float away in a little, one of those planks that's going to break off from the boat. God will take care of you, but He won't take care of us. Maybe, you know, sometimes we think of that. Maybe that's what the disciples were thinking. You know, I think it's normal to be afraid though, right? I mean, Jesus is not really rebuking them for being afraid only because that's not the entirety of his question but you know the question that I have for you though is what does your fear lead you to do because in this case Jesus was saying that it was not good for them to be so fearful to the extent that they began to doubt that Jesus even cared about this situation and that's where they showed their lack of faith do you see that? How they accused Jesus of not caring. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? They allowed fear to twist their thinking of who God is, of who Christ was. They were so desperate that in their desperation, they cried out in anger to Jesus as if he had to help them. It was their right and it was what they needed from him. And when it didn't happen, they said, God, why don't you care? Don't you care about us? So looking at this fear, right? I want to show you what the Bible talks about fear. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, look what the Bible says here. 1 John 4, 18, the Bible says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love and so this bible text it seems to indicate that it is just wrong to be fearful full stop but no I, I, I don't agree totally you see you know when we get to the point where fear overtakes and it makes us doubt the love that someone has for us that's where it's wrong that's where we take it too far our fear Look, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. Let me give you some examples. If you're thrown in a den of lions, will you be afraid? I will be afraid. Don't tell me Daniel was not afraid at all. His heart must have beat a bit faster. Don't think those three Hebrew boys, when they were thrown into the fire, they were like confident and not afraid whatsoever. No, their heart was probably beating a bit faster. They were a bit scared, but they were still faithful. Do you see that? Look, here in Malaysia, I tell you, if there's one thing I don't like about Malaysia, it's cockroaches. You know, I, I, I've I grown up in Australia and they have like, what, six of the ten deadliest snakes, but I've never seen any of them. Not in my backyard, at least. They have the the black, the, the what is it, the red back, right? And one of the most poisonous spiders. And I'm not afraid of that. Why? They don't come to your house, unless, you know, you have tons and tons of plants and you never water them and do any gardening in your house there. But I never encounter any of these. But here in Malaysia, we have cockroaches. And I am deadly afraid of them. I don't know, some of you aren't. But I am so afraid of cockroaches, I get that spray, and I will spray the cockroach until it is white, covered with the spray, you know. I've gotten a bit older and uh, maybe I don't use up the whole can, but I'm telling you, it is normal to be afraid. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? But when I see the cockroach and I get afraid, I don't go to God, God, don't you care? Don't you? You know I hate cockroaches. Why don't you help me and get rid of all the cockroaches? Do you know what I mean? I don't blame God and doubt His love for me because i'm afraid of what's happening right there before me do you understand what i'm trying to say here there is nothing wrong with being afraid but don't let it cloud your judgment of god's love for you do you understand that too often we get so afraid we forget about god And not only do we forget about him, but now when we remember him and he hasn't helped us, we blame him. God, where were you? Good one, why didn't you help me? And we begin to be like the disciples. Don't you care that I was going through this trial? Don't you care that I was facing something so traumatic in my marriage, in my life? I was ready to eat these pills. Where were you? You weren't there. My friend came. I'm forsaking you. And so many times we doubt God because of our fear, because of our trials. Our fear, it it, it just blinds our eyes to God's love for us. You see, there's nothing wrong with fear if you still have faith. And that's where Daniel was. That's where John the Baptist was when in prison. That's where Joseph was when he was in prison. Do you think he was afraid? At the age of 15, 16, 17, being carted off, the brothers that hated him, being sold into Egypt. Don't you think he was a bit afraid there? I think he was. But he got on his knees right there in that little cage that he had been put in. And he rededicated his life to God and said, God, I'm afraid, but I'm going to be faithful to you. And he was afraid when he was thrown into prison for doing nothing wrong, after part of his wife blamed him, right? There is nothing with being afraid, but what does your fear do to you? Because here in, in 1 John 4, 18, the sort of fear that we should not have is one that blinds our eyes of God's love for us. And we forget. We forget about His love. We forget about the cross. We forget about His goodness. We forget all the blessings that He showered upon us. Just like the Israelites. You know, they came out of Egypt. They they saw the ten plagues. They saw the Red Sea part before them. And then they get to this place where they're thirsty, and they find this water, and it's bitter, and they can't drink it. And they get so angry at Moses and they said, oh, you and God, you brought us out here to die. They are blinded. They forgot how much God loved them. Their trials, just like the disciples, it blinded their eyes to make them have a twisted thinking of who God was. Even though they'd been walking with Jesus, sleeping with him and hearing him and seeing what he's been doing, they forgot. It blinded them. And so, what does fear do to you? What does stress do to you? What do trials and temptations do to you? Are you tempted to go, ah, I've had enough of this. No one appreciates me and you want to walk off. What does it do to you? Do you blame God? Do you get upset at people? Do you blow up? What does fear do to you? And so that's why Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? Because that fear blinded the love that Jesus had for them. And you know what? Fear is opposite to love, friends. And that's what 1 John four eighteen was saying. And when that happens, it affects our faith. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says this, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, and this is the key part, but faith which works by what? By love. So if you have the understanding of God's love for you, you will have faith. And your, the, the fear is opposite to faith. That's why they don't go together. If you have fear, but you still hold on to God and you have faith, perfect love will cast out that fear. It won't twist your thinking about who God is. But when we begin to doubt God's love for us, well, that's where it begins to affect our faith. Do you see that? And so when Jesus was asking these two questions, they were really one. It was connected. Why are you so fearful? Why is it that you had no faith? Why is it that your fear made you to think, I don't care about you? Why? Faith that God cared for them. Faith that Jesus had ordained them to preach the gospel and to be a blessing to the whole world. And God was not about to let them lose their life in a storm, especially with Jesus there as well. He hadn't even finished his mission yet, even though he was asleep. And so Jesus asks us today, where is your faith? How come such small trials sweep you away? So you failed your exam. So you've been in lockdown. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why is it that you have so little faith? So you're a little bit hungry. Maybe some, for some of us, it's good to fast even, right? But why is it that we have so little faith? Or to some, why is it that you have no faith? Where has it gone? Look at how the Bible describes the wicked. You know, it's very interesting. In Isaiah 57, verse 20 and 21, why are we talking about the wicked? You'll see the description that, we, that the Bible talks about here, about the wicked. Look at this. Isaiah 57, 20 to 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You know, the wicked are like, what? A troubled sea. They're just tossed to and fro, and they have no peace. They're like troubled waters. What this text is not saying is that the wicked have no peace because bad things happen to the wicked. It's not that they're troubled waters in terms of the winds blowing on them and they're troubled in their whole life. No. It's not saying that the the people that are not wicked, the righteous, they will have peaceful life. Nothing bad will happen to them. No, that's not what it's talking about. What it's describing here, look at this. It is describing their heart. There is no peace in their hearts. They're constantly fearful. And when small things happen to them, it stirs up their hearts and their lives and their the, the mind is like the raging sea that has no peace. It's just pulled here and there and they can't think, they can't sleep, they get stressed over small things. The wicked are like that. Do you see that? And so small things happen to them but to them it's a really big thing and they react so negatively. Do you see that? How we react over such small things in our lives isn't it God why didn't my friends invite me to their house to eat when everyone else went God why didn't my friends invite me to their birthday party small things God why is it that you didn't bless me and give me good grades even though I I studied so hard you didn't give me an A God don't you care God why would you give me a flat tire on the way to work this morning? And I was late, and my god boss got angry at me. And now he's probably not going to give me a pay raise. God, don't you care? Nothing to do with perishing. So often it's these small things in life, even, that make us doubt God's love for us. And even as you realize it now, as you're sitting there this evening, you realize that maybe your life is more in line with the wicked, Than with the righteous their hearts are, are like a troubled waters they have no peace you know even at least the disciples they had a semblance of a reason to be angry they were about to lose their life I mean some of them were fishermen they grew up on the sea and yet they were scared you know, they, they weren't coming around, hey people, I've been through this before. You know, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they should have said, hey, 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 we've been through this before, just just you pull here and you pull there, and okay, let's let's let out the hose and pull pull out the water. I, I don't know. But no, all of them were scared. At least they would have, had 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 a reason because they, they were about to die. But too often we lose our faith over something really so small, isn't it? You know, in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, the Bible says this, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, according to this text, how can we have peace with God? We must be justified by faith. We got to learn to live a life of faith. It's not that we'll have peace and nothing bad will happen to us and, you know, our life will just be like a bed of roses. Everything that will just fall into line, everything will just be perfect. No. Just look at the Bible. Just look at those who lived a life of faith. Abel died. Noah was mocked. Do you see that? Look at Paul. When he lived a life of faith, he was in prison. But in prison he had peace. Do you understand that? Look at Job when he lived a perfect, sinless life. God was the one that declared him perfect. He was justified by faith for sure. And look at what happened. He lost his wealth. He lost his kids. He lost his health. And he had an unsupportive wife who told him, just curse God and die. And friends that would come and say what? What are you doing, Job? What did you do wrong? Righteous man, justified by faith. He didn't have a peaceful life, but he had peace in here. That he could say in Job thirteen fifteen, Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Following God is not to have a life of peace. Do you understand that? But no matter what happens around you, you can have peace in here. There might be a storm howling and raging, and you can be like Jesus sleeping in the storm. Do you see that? You can have peace. It's not that nothing bad will happen, but that you can still rest well and sleep well at night, even though all these things are happening. The wicked are the ones, that their lives are like just the sea that is just tossed to and fro, it's like troubled water. They have no peace but if you are justified by faith if you are living a life of faith and God leads you in that path and you know him and you know his guidance and his leading and his providence even though something bad happens you can rest well at night you can have peace That even though the circumstances seem so forbidding, you know that you're in the right place at the right time and God even is right there with you. You don't have to fret. You don't have to be stressed. You don't have to run around in circles chasing your tail, wondering, God, what am I going to do? What shall I do? What shall I do? You can know that God is right there with you. Amen. So coming back to the disciples you know Jesus was showing that they still had a lot of room to grow. Grow in faith, grow in love, grow in trust towards Christ and His leading. After all It was Jesus that asked them to get into the boat and go over to the other side. But they forgot Christ's words in the midst of that storm. They forgot that Christ's command was also a promise. The fact that he said, let's go to the other side, they would make it to the other side. Do you see that? All his commands are promises. All his biddings are enablings. It's the very power that helped us to do it. And so the fact that Christ said, let's go over to the other side, it was a promise enough that they would get there. But it was a storm <laughs> that blinded their eyes and made them forget. But let's finish this off, shall we? Mark chapter 4, verse 41. They feared, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. You know, the Bible says there that they feared exceedingly. It's not that they were afraid. That word feared there means they were in awe of him. Wow. They, they were amazed by their master. They were inspired. Jesus was trying to strengthen their faith. Show them, you shall, you got to trust me. I can control the wind and the sea and the storm. You've got nothing to be afraid of. And today, today, friends, this story comes down to us here in 2021. And when you read the scriptures, you've got to learn to fear God. We must learn to be in awe of Him and understand the sort of power that God has at His disposal in His Word. And we've got to learn to trust Him, that God will lead you through whatever trial that you're going through. And maybe it's not the taking away of the trial, but that He'll give you the strength to get through it. Today, God is looking for a group of people. Described in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Why do they have patience? They have patience to endure the trials that they're going through right now instead of being tempted to blame God. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have what? The faith of Jesus. The faith that they have is the same as Christ's. It is Jesus' faith. They know that God loves them. Even when they're going through a cross experience, they know that God is even there. Even though He's shrouded in a dark cloud, they know because they have the faith of Jesus to get through even the most forbidding circumstances. And friends, this must be our experience because the Bible tells us one day there's going to be a time of trouble, such as never was, such as the world has never ever seen or experienced, worse than this pandemic and this lockdown and whatever you have gone through all added together. Worse than losing a loved one from this COVID disease. Worse than the loss of your own health and life. And the loss of your job, the loss of your scholarship. Whatever trial you can think of, the Bible says that there's going to be a trial so bad that even in Matthew 24, the Bible says this in verse 22, that except those days, speaking about the future, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. There's coming a time where this trouble will be so bad that God has to intentionally shorten it or else everybody righteous will die. So friends, whatever trial you're facing today, whatever you're going through, I'm not asking you to suck it up and just ignore it or just man up and, and, and be better from it. No. What I want you to do this evening is allow your experience of what you're going through to be something that you will look at in the mirror, in which you can reflect upon. And for it to help you to see the condition of your spiritual life, of your faith, and your walk with Jesus. Do you have any faith? Or does that question apply to you this evening? Why is it? That you have no faith. Do you have his patience? Do you have the faith of Jesus? And maybe even as you're sitting here this evening, as you're listening to this sermon, you you know the answer to that question. and Maybe you know that you need to come up higher. Not higher in standards. Higher in your walk with Jesus. To allow God to shine faith into your life to shine his word that today you will make that decision to say God I want to surrender to you please come into my heart take full control and you're willing to give him everything you just got to be willing to say with me today Jesus I accept you as Lord of my life I surrender to you my life. Please come in today and take full control. Are you willing to say that with me this evening, friends? I hope so. That as I pray, you pray with me in your hearts that you would be willing, that you would be willing to even be made willing as well. Let us bow our heads. Father in heaven, Lord, I know that you never force us You're always waiting for us to make that decision. Lord, you're always ready. You're always, and even sometimes when we cry out to you in the wrong manner, in your grace, you still respond. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to recommit our life to you here this evening. We want to surrender our life to you. We want to open the door of our hearts to you. We want to ask that you would please come in and take full control. Lord, please help us because we cannot help ourselves. Please, Lord, fill our hearts with your love. Fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts with your Word. And help us this evening, even on this Sabbath hours, to spend even more time in your Word. That you would write your law in our hearts. That you would please come and dwell in our hearts today. And fill our hearts so full with your Spirit that there would be no room for the devil and his angels and this world Please, Lord, commune with us this day. Draw us closer to thy breast. Help us, O oh Lord, to walk with you as Enoch did of old. That is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.